and welcome to the first episode of Laying Down the Lore 40k, a lore podcast in which we aim to separate our Ducari from our Dark Angels, our Tyranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen. Hi there. Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. Absolutely fuck all. And my dear brother, Darren. Hello. Who knows so much about 40k, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Over the years, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Hello, fellas. Hey. Oh, hey. Here we are. So now we're going to milk me dry of this stuff too, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have used that expression myself, but yeah? (laughs) If the cap fits, Darren. Yeah. If the udder pump fits. <laughs> if you're willing. <laughs> so, Christopher Crallen Allen. That's my name. Crowlbot. Crowlmaster Flex. You all right, mate? Crowligator. <laughs> Crowlestein. No, we'll leave that one out. Uh, let's just go with, uh, it's a bit controversial, that one. <laughs> let's just go with Crowl. I have a question for you, Crowl. Go. Can you sum up in three words or less? Mm. You can you can use less. Yeah, uh, yeah the extent yeah. of your Warhammer forty k knowledge. Close to zero. That was three words, wasn't it? Yeah, that very close good, to zero. Yeah. My knowledge of. 40K, I was so sure he was going to say close to fuck all there, and I was like, mm, I feel like you haven't <laughs> listened to the question. yeah prepare yourself for that there's going to be lots of that um so in terms of the how much i know in your intro i recognized one or two things and one of them was 40k and that was about it um (laughs) so the title of the podcast yeah exactly yeah yeah i recognize laying down the lore we do our own fantasy podcast check it out Uh, and 40k (laughs) pretty much so would you would you like to demonstrate uh, how little you know by trying to explain. Well, tell us what you think 40k is. Okay, uh, it is a product. A huge of the- box of cereal. <laughs> <laughs> so my knowledge of 40k is yeah somewhat limited. I know of it through my brother used to paint the miniatures or as i like to call them figurines but, but they're not, I'm not sure figurines. Uh, they're not figurines they're not figurines, figurines. um yeah. uh, that sake. might have been the fantasy stuff see I'm, I'm not quite sure and it's in space and there's guns and Good. there's space marines Okay. Ta da! Congratulations. You now know less than a nine year old. Yeah. Yeah. I'm now as qualified as Darren. Yeah. So, how did he do in that description, Dar? It's difficult to um, discount anything he added in there. Everything he said (laughs) does exist in 40K. There, there's a fair bit more, obviously, as we hope to cover. But Because uh, if yeah. there isn't, this is going to be a very short podcast. Space guns and space marines. Yeah, I think man. you've just summed up like 70% of all 40k sales. Space guns and space marines. Wasn't that also a Don McLean song as well? <laughs> um, all right, Ben, over to you. What do you know about 40k? Well, Crowlin... It's a good question. I thought I, I knew some. I thought I knew something about 40k because uh, years ago Darren gave me 
the first like I don't know million books of the heresy, uh, the Horus Heresy series, and I read a few of them and I absolutely love them. But I have recently been told that they're not 40k. So no, nope. is that right? They're 30. <laughs> they, they are in fact 30k. Okay, 30k. So I was 10,000 years off. And so, in answer to your question, I, I don't really know anything either. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how far did you get in the books, though? How, like, how far did I? Till about forty thousand two hundred ninety-two. Oh, <laughs> it was the it was the book about is it the salamanders? Oh yeah. I I I'll be honest with you. I didn't enjoy the book. I didn't think it was a particularly <laughs> good one. Um, I I mean I've I have read. I've read maybe the first 15 of them, but I'm, I yeah. read really slowly, man. That's taken me about, when did you give them to me? About eight years ago. I gave them to you in uh, 29K. 20 what? That was a joke about Ks. 29K oh, instead see. of 30K. Yeah, that was awful. Well, I, I think that is a very good introduction to your terrible jokes, as I'm sure the listeners will become used to. It also denotes the start of the path where ultimately I'm going to hang myself live on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, when you finish jokes to dead air? <laughs> to dead air. Well, no, well, I do that already. Thanks very much. <laughs> uh, right, Kral. Can you sum up in three words or less? You can use less again. Uh, <laughs> Is this a theme? Go on. Yeah. <laughs> the extent of Dar's 40k knowledge. Okay. Uh, really, really lots. <laughs> really, really lots. <laughs> <laughs> My my knowledge uh, of the English okay. language is probably a, just a bit better than my knowledge of 40k. So uh, <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> so Dar. Yeah. How is it that you know so much about 40K? Um, I'm, I'm a gross introvert who hates socializing. <laughs> That'll uh, do it. So I just sit home. <laughs> when I was 15 years old, so a million years ago, uh, I was on uh, a school holiday. Uh, they used to have them back then, uh, where we went to Austria. And one of the... Uh, one of the classmates had uh, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Oh, so, I wondered where uh, this was going. <laughs> <You're> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, and there I met I was a ex- space marine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was young. I was experimenting. I was. Uh, yeah, and uh, the guy said, "Listen, I'll give you this box set of miniatures if you let me do stuff." <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the level of this podcast, folks. Oh, um, no, I, I I got instantly hooked on the kind of fantasy role play side, uh, and that was in 1987. So that year for Christmas, uh, Santa brought me the Warhammer Fantasy Battles Third Edition and the First Edition of Warhammer 40k, which was uh, Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, the initial kind of uh, launch. And really, that was it. I, I was I was hooked from then. So really, it was the setting that got me hooked uh, initially. The setting for Forty K is incredibly heavily influenced by the books of Frank Herbert Dune. Um, oh. Anyone who reads Dune, the first kind of uh, gargantuan novel, and then reads the initial 40k lore will wonder why one organization didn't sue the other uh, (laughs) for copyright infringement. Um, Is it really that bad, is it? uh, 
let's see, a universe-spanning empire of humans led by an emperor with uh, navigators to help you travel around uh, and genetically enhanced super soldiers, like regiments of them. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of other sci-fi franchises. It Star does, Wars yeah. a it, little it, bit. And that's the only other one I can think of. (laughs) (laughs) And there we go. The limit of Growl's sci-fi knowledge. That's it. (laughs) What do you know about Star Wars? Well, I understand it's a large battle taking place in space. (laughs) But it's, um, yeah, uh, 40K is also quite profoundly influenced by the kind of storytelling style and settings within the 2000 AD comic of the time, uh, and also really any book written by Michael Moorcock. So uh, their Warhammer fantasy was quite heavily influenced by the Eternal Champions and Elric uh, and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, 40k you can draw a line from some aspects in 40K into Michael Moorcock's Hawkmoon series. There's quite a quite a lot there. Again, legions plus an emperor who uh, is uh, unseen um, uh, and kind of sedentary. Although in that case, he's in a large goldfish bowl and not the golden throne on uh, Terra, which is uh, our own planet Earth. Nice. Do you think it's safe to say that you've read the vast majority of Games Workshop publications? I think you asked me this a couple of days ago, uh, and I've given it some thought. So I think I've read pretty much everything before 2012, uh, and about maybe 65, 75% of. Um, everything after that but it's uh yeah i've read all the the codices codexes codexes easies and um all the kind of core core books and a lot of the um the novels but by no means all of them so there will be gaps remind me again what a codices disexes is well, it's when a mummy codex and a daddy codex. <laughs> Get it on. <laughs> See, that one got a laugh. That's all right. Um, a, a codex is an army book, so it details everything you need to be able to play one of the factions in Warhammer 40K. Broadly speaking, there are 16 factions, arguably only 15. But each faction has somewhere between five and ten sub-factions. And all of those rules are held in, uh, well, we like to think that all of those rules are held in one book. That hasn't been true for years. (laughs) There's something called book bloat, where if you want to play everything uh, associated with your faction, you may end up needing to purchase, like, between three and five books. <laughs> that um, sounds like a solid, solid sales strategy, that one. Oh, yeah, it, it, it really works. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. So just to, just to explain then, before we go on, like why we're doing this. So this all started a couple of years ago, and um, the three of us were playing Vermintide, and um, Kral and I were, I'm going to say wowed by, by Dar's kind of Warhammer lore cojones, 
I was scared. I was I was worried. <laughs> I've apologized again. It was not an appropriate profile picture. No, it right? was a trouser malfunction. <laughs> My Warhammer cojones. Uh, so we thought it would be a good laugh to, to make a, a podcast about it. Shameless self-promotion coming. Um, if anyone Here's is, my cojones! <laughs> if anyone is interested in that, you can find it on all major podcast platforms. It's called Laying Down the Lower, The Old World. Um, and so during those recordings, naturally, 40K was mentioned a few times, and uh, it was quite clear that it was yet another sphere that Kral and I knew sweet fuck all about. So here we are. It seems a theme. Anything Ben and I don't know something about, we're going to do a podcast about. So. <laughs> we're <laughs> going to be doing a lot of podcasts. <laughs> we're going to be doing a lot of tightrope walking, let me assure you. <laughs> My kind of naive view on 40K it has this kind of spacey, steampunky, gothic-y vibe about it there's i feel there's some like holy aspects to it aren't there like some religious orders and worshiping of deities and whatnot uh, have I, am i getting this right yes uh, it, again in the broad strokes it is quite a ben are you ready there's quite a big dichotomy within the yes. Imperium of Man, Whoa. which is the um the human empire the galaxy spanning um uh yeah empire of man um mm. i was looking for other words there and they just eluded me. Um, <laughs> none better describe the empire of man than the empire of man yeah 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 and when i say man i mean humans oh, exactly all you man. exactly you get oh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you've got to be oh very hot water mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, um but I mean, on that note, uh, I think we have had a discussion previously about 40K is much more inclusive in that regard than the previous kind of fantasy setting, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the How would you describe it? Because it's focused outwards. It's focused on the future and uh, uh, out of uh, our own reality. There's no basis for a lot of the cultures um, except as they as they are extrapolated out of Warhammer fantasy, so there are cultural uh, institutions and uh, kind of racial specific things. Uh, for instance, the Space Wolves, which are a chapter of Space Marine, are heavily based on Vikings, like the Norse. Hmm. So it's Space Vikings. Nice, uh, cool. The Ultram- the Ultramarines, which are the kind of de facto good boys of um, the Boy Scouts. Games Workshop, the Boy Scouts, exactly. <laughs> uh, their culture would be considered to be a classical culture, so a Greco-Roman uh, mm. culture. So they incorporate aspects of uh, both of those um, real-world cultures in their kind of own in-setting mythology. Mm. Uh, you then have various other chapters reflecting aspects of their own homeworlds, but also of Terran or, you know, Earth-based antique cultures or cultures of antiquity. Mm. Um, so again, using Space Marines as an example, you have the White Scars, which is one of Benny's. Uh, I think that's the chapter you're most attracted to. Just simply because it's a cool color. It's like white and, yeah. white and red, isn't it? 
but the white scars are based on the kind of Mongol hordes, mm. uh, a very kind of Genghis Khan-y influenced army, which sort of plays that way on the tabletop. Um, in terms of religious aspects, and, I, and I'm really just focusing on the human empire here, uh, the Imperium, as I shall refer to it from now on, um, the dichotomy really falls between there is only one deity, and that is the emperor. And he has his own kind of brides. Well, they were referred to as the brides of the emperor. These are the uh, sisters of battle, the kind of battle nuns cool. of uh, Warhammer 40k. Battle um, nuns, they sound interesting. I yeah. guess they're not just ladies dressed in black and white and running at you with rulers slapping your wrist. They're more, they're more than that. There's, they've got more substance than that. Or not. Or maybe not. Because if not, that's brilliant. Yeah. 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 It's basically a space sister act. <laughs> Can you imagine? That'd be awesome. Um, sister act, but Whoopi Goldberg is just dressed head to toe in like power armor. <laughs> but they, <laughs> but there, there is an institution referred to as the ecclesiarchy, which is this enormous, effectively, it's the Catholic Church of space. Uh, and they, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, that one. You know, as you would, yeah. Um, but the vast majority of humanity worships the emperor as a god, uh, mostly because he has been alive for oh, well over 10,000 years. Wow. Uh, but I use alive in quotes. He's on a, a life support system. He's being kept alive against his own will, it sounds like. Originally, no, in terms of the motivations that required the establishment of the Imperium. Um, but I think at this stage, in some of the early novels, his psyche is so fractured that the the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So there are many institutions within the Imperium that work at odds against each other that have been sanctioned by the Emperor. Again, all of this is done through dream allegory uh, and uh, what's referred to as the, the emperor's tarot, like a tarot deck where the emperor guides, you know, the chosen through this uh, medium. Wow. Um, so if we're steering back towards the setting as a whole, the universe of Warhammer 40,000 is our own universe. 40,000 years in the future. So it's set in the 40th millennium. So the dates are uh, expressed in kind of M40 and then the the kind of a decimal point and then some number between 1 and 999. That's how they express their years. Right. So uh, to give you an example, we now, uh, we're at the start of uh, 2023, we, we would be M323. M3.23. Where does the three come from? Uh, we're in the third millennium. Oh, I see. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got so zero, okay. zero to one. Yeah. Zero to one, one to two, two plus. Yep. That's where right. we are now. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, Unlike in fantasy, um, that is a fantastical world. It's kind of like a parallel universe. 40k is mindfully set in our current universe. Maybe not this galaxy, but no, it is. No, it is, it is this. It is this galaxy. It oh. is our own reality. 
set in the year 40,000 Including plus. our solar system with uh, Earth and Mars and Venus. Including and... our solar system. Uh, yeah, the, uh, nice. the seat of the Imperium of Man, of mankind, is Terra, is our own world. Okay. Was there a point at which they decided to call it Terra and not Earth? Is that ever mentioned? Uh, no, what you really have to take into account is that Latin is used quite heavily. Uh, okay. um, so there's kind of the 40k version of common, uh, which you have in all these kinds of gaming oh, yeah. settings. We've got high Gothic and low Gothic. So low Gothic would be English. Right. That's how it's presented with various accents and, you know, and, and various other languages. But that's the broad language of communication uh within the kind of local systems uh of the imperium for imperium business right. each culture each planet has its own language as well uh, or oh, most of them do you then get into this kind of religious and academic and administrative language which would be latin or it's how it's expressed in all the in all the lore is it is as latin rather than it being Latin in and of itself. Biggest dickus. <laughs> <laughs> is that what um, High Gothic is then? Is Latin? Is that yes, High, High Gothic is expressed as Latin in all the books. That's yeah. Latin. That's and really is cool. Low Gothic <laughs> is basically your, your common English or any yeah. other Earth based language. Or, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. your Geordies, um, your Scousers, your Southerners. Yeah. Are there any Geordie Space Marines? That would be amazing. I give it a There's a planet called Katachan, which is uh, effectively, it is a planet constantly trapped in the movie The Predator. Right. So you have these huge muscle-bound men and women out in these uh, death worlds, they're called, the kind of uh, really aggressive jungles where everything is trying to kill you. And there's a, a, the regiments that they supply to the Imperium as part of their kind of tithe, as kind of the Imperium's tax, are Katachan jungle fighters. And I can net, it's a, an absolute effort on my part not to say their name in a Geordie accent. Katachan jungle fighters. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't, I don't know why. Katachan jungle fighters. Oh. Away. <laughs> <laughs> Away, oh, man. There's some arcs. I'm just going to call them the Shaka Khan jungle fighters because I've, <laughs> <Shaka. forgotten>, uh, <laughs> I've already forgotten how to pronounce it. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the setting is us. It's our own setting. If you were to get in a time machine in, uh, in, in uh, Warhammer 40k and go back 37,000 years, it would be our planet. Cool. Um, okay. The planet, the planet of terra is one big city wow. there's no farmland there's no oceans there's no water there's no surface water it's an entire city it's what would be the equivalent in star wars i think the equivalent is coruscant you know that mm. kind of core home mm -hmm. world that's so overdeveloped it's just one city I guess we're going to learn about how Terra slash Earth evolved from being a water-based world, 70% water, to slowly becoming drier and drier. Are we? Are we? Uh, ish. Yeah. It, it's, nah. it, <laughs> when it's mentioned, it's, they're almost like throwaway comments. Okay. Um, 
the areas of focus really are it's the mountains of the Himalayas because that's where the imperial palace is. Oh, uh, that's it's in cool. the Himalayan mountain range. So, does the city need to be supplied in terms of resources from other planets? Exactly then? right. Because yeah. it's quite similar to um, Trantor in the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, and it's all it's just well, all one all one city. Amazing! You've just stepped on my next uh, review. Ah. Um, so yes, there's a constant supply. A constant demand of uh, resources. I mean, of everything. Right. Uh, and so there is a an ungodly amount of space traffic, and you know, supply shuttles and supply freighters yeah. uh, heading back and forth. It's also the home of all of the departments that the Imperium has. So there's something called the Adeptus Terra, and they are the bureaucracy that keeps the Imperium of Man functioning. But it's not very quick. It's absolutely glacial, in fact. And there's been many events within the galaxy of that the 40k is set in where a planet will request aid. And then aid will be sent 200 years later. Wow. Because they've only just they've only just gotten to their inbox. We can do it quick planet. or we can do it right. Is that <laughs> <Yeah>. approach? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so there's been instances of um you know, fleets, interdiction fleets arriving at a planetary location uh, ready to aid the Imperial citizens and the thing's a dead world. There's nothing there. Wow. Uh, all traces yeah. of life have gone. The hive cities, which we'll explain at a later time, are all uh, like ghost towns. They're just empty mausoleums. Um, wow. Yes, so the planet of Terra is the anchor point for the Imperium of Man in 40k. In terms of the kind of cosmology, what you're really looking at is arguably two and a half realities layered over itself. So you have the real world, the corporeal world, uh, or the corporeal universe. So that's the things we can see and touch and feel and eat uh, and kill and, and have other uh, things. Wow, that happened fast. <laughs> uh, I knew you were thinking it. I just said it. Don't you don't worry. I got you. I got you back. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm really worried about that you've got my back. Uh, <laughs> um then we have something called the warp. Oh. Uh, if anyone who has listened to our Warhammer fantasy based uh, podcast, Langdon Laurel World, uh, <laughs> I didn't even speak properly. That was just a really bad essay. plug. Yeah, really bad plug. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be aware of the realms of chaos, the realm of chaos. So the warp is a mix of spiritual heaven and hell, but mostly hell. Uh, <laughs> and it's. That's a shit travel brochure, isn't it? Like, I'm not going there. (laughs) (laughs) No, no Um, thank you, Mr. Salesman. It's where all spiritual energy comes from. It's where souls come from. It is the source of all psychic powers. And it's the home of the four great chaos gods, uh, Korn, the god of blood and violence, Slanesh, the god of uh, not safe for work sexy times, um, uh, Nurgle, the god of disease and despair, and Zinch, the god of hope and change. I've heard of these guys. So it's just a quick question. Is the warp the equivalent of the ether? in fantasy yes, yes with a niff no with a but 
Oh, it is. Okay, fine. Yeah, all right. All right. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. exactly the same. Uh, mostly because these things were introduced to the lore at the same time. Okay. Um, right. They were the the kind of concept of the realms of chaos or the warp uh, were introduced really in two in detail in two books, uh, Slaves to Darkness and The Lost and the Damned. And those supplements are two books that are supplements for all three game lines that Games Workshop had at the time. For Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, for Warhammer Fantasy Battle, and for Warhammer 40k. Wow. Uh, in the 40k uh, offering, it introduced evil versions of the Imperium of Man. So it introduced evil space marines called Chaos Space Marines. They're kind of human servants the demons of chaos. Um, so these are the demonic servants of the four gods, but also introduced the Inquisition in quite good detail and the Grey Knights, which are this faction of demon hunters. When were those books released then? Uh, they were released in 88 and 89. So really early on then? Really early days. Yeah. Uh, they were sort of foundational in transferring 40k from a kind of stalemated but optimistic future of mankind to this grim dark future where there is absolutely no hope for humans at all uh, and everything is slowly eroding until we get to the point of complete cultural depression and mass suicide jesus wow you're welcome good times <laughs> so how how long was there between the release of or any warhammer ip and the release of this uh, the, the introduction of these themes of chaos chaos kind of had existed in kind of single paragraph terms it was something that was mentioned and thrown away right. it was used in place of the word evil in the early fantasy kind of concepts gotcha. um but really when development of it started kind of halfway through the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy so that it was released as part of Warhammer Fantasy 3rd edition, which was uh, between 87 and 94, 87 and 93. And the impact of those two books on the overall intellectual properties of Games Workshop wouldn't really be felt until the fourth edition of Fantasy, which would be the second edition of Warhammer 40k. Um, really, around about 1993 is when the the lore starts to look like the lore we have what it today, looks like today right? Uh, right. so it, it yeah so it's effectively what's that 30 years wow so there's been 30 years of relative consistency in the lore there's obviously continuity and retcon bits and bobs but prior to 93 if you look back through the uh, uh, the issues of white dwarf which was games workshop's hobby magazine uh, what it was it is Games Workshop's hobby magazine. If you look at the articles that were released between 87 and 93, you get the real sense of a property being developed in public, if you see what I mean. Oh, cool. It wasn't a final product. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
the White Dwarf magazine saw the introduction of the first army lists, the first kind of comprehensible army lists for 40k. There was no codices before uh, 1993. That's uh, interesting. As an example, like Space Marine, Space Marine heroes, apart from having slightly different equipment, had no special rules. Right. So there was not there was nothing to denote the difference between a captain, a kind of chaplain, and a medic, other than their equipment. There was no other special rules for mm. uh, differentiating between those kinds of uh, troops. So you see, the um, I was just thinking, I, I, a friend of mine who's super into Harry Potter said to me once that the reason that he liked it so much is that he read the first book when he was roughly harry's character's age in yeah. the book and so he grew up with that character do you know what i mean he grew up through yeah. the the story <clears throat> as it evolved do you think that's a part of why people like you love 40k so much because it was like you say kind of developed publicly it wasn't just released as a kind of finished product you actually you grew up with the development of it if that makes sense i think that's largely true uh, i wouldn't obviously i wouldn't say it's all of the reason why I love it, but I, I do have a fondness for the early editions of 40K, which I think we're going to cover next episode. Uh, so I think it was the idea of there is an entire universe that's a bit more realistic than the kind of high fantasy of Star Wars, where there's a good amount of danger, there's a lot of interplay and aggression between seemingly allied factions mm. and the ideas that there's constant psychic danger washing over humanity uh, meant that. There was, there was lots of hooks. And I think it was the constant updates, the constant newness uh, mm. found in those uh, White Dwarf articles that got you to kind of hook into the new aspect and then go back and reevaluate uh, the stuff that existed already. Oh, I but see, right. Within a few years of Warhammer being released, they released Epic uh, or um, Adeptus Titanicus, which are these enormous walking war machines, kind of super duper, you know, mecha that could, you know, one of these things could destroy a city. Wow. But that was at a much greater scale, uh, in, or, or sorry, rather, that was at a much smaller scale. So rather than uh, using figures that were roughly an inch high, the figures were about six millimeters high. So you could have a huge army. Did you did did you say that these mechas, which I do, one of the few things I remember at Forty K were yeah, skimming through some of the articles and whatnot when I was a kid. These huge battle Earth city destroying robot mecha things. Did you say those were introduced? Kind of all of a sudden at a later date because that seems like a game changing thing. You've got a <laughs> yeah going from a, a tabletop game with like a a squad legion of like you say one inch humanoid figurines yeah. to, and then you wake up the next day you've got a, <laughs> a Titanic <laughs> robot destroying things. That that sounds like it changes the game somewhat overnight. <laughs> yeah, that's throwing the cat among the pigeons, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and now robots. <laughs> you're within like two years of the release of 40k you had this new box game adeptus titanicus and that dealt with these titan legions which are these 30 40 up to 100 meter tall mecha uh that looked like walking cathedrals. you can't ignore them 
You're not going to. No, you can't. You can. You can try. Just, just don't look at him. Just don't look at him. He won't see you. (laughs) The real kind of impact of Adeptus Titanicus was to show that there was a significant amount of war material and stories to be told at a you know a much higher level. And in fact, Adeptus Titanicus, the original release, was set during the Horus Heresy. So it was Space Marine versus Space Marine combat, and it introduced armored vehicles and tanks and flyers and uh, different troop types. It didn't really differentiate between the the different factions, but it allowed you to play out kind of 40k battles at a much larger scale in terms of the amount of troops you have in front of you. Mr. Chris. The Horus Heresy, I hear a bucket load about this. Don't need to go into it, but that seems to be the like the hinge, the linchpin of 40k, of most of the lore. The turning point, a milestone, other superlatives, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and other words that mean the same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that is, that is the fulcrum on which changed the kind of semi-optimistic status quo of the lore for the first edition for uh, of mm. 40k for rogue trader to the grim dark everything is hopeless why don't we all dress as goths and go and beat up kittens of the second edition onwards um so there was pre-horace heresy and then after horace heresy everything was okay before the horace heresy and everything went to shit. Yeah, it was the kind of BCAD changeover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, yeah I, I would say in terms of the game meta lore, the introduction of the concept of the Horus Heresy really was the fulcrum upon which the, the, the change from hope to hopelessness in the background lore uh, was achieved. Um, okay. Okay. And and it must be said uh, to the not, not chagrin is probably the wrong word to the consternation of Rick Priestley, who was the guy that wrote Forty K, the first edition. Uh, he wow. liked that kind of you know opportunism, I suppose, of first edition, and it was uh, uh, one of the other writers who who became a, a you know a real force of nature, a guy called Andy Chambers. I met him once. When I was like a, a sales assistant, and you were stalking him. <laughs> yeah, I was stalking him. Uh, <laughs> I met him once when I was hiding in his bush outside his house. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at him right now. <laughs> oh, Andy! Oh, I, I did. Uh, He's did behind the sheet behind me right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's behind and let me just reveal our special guest. <laughs> He's taped up, gaffered. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Andy! Send help! Oh, do you feel hopeless, Andy? Do you? Um, no. <laughs> so really, that 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 was the big change. Uh, I mean, we'll cover it in later episodes. But my God, mm. the amount of gaming product and lore that Mr. Chambers introduced to Games Workshop is mm. incredible. Game breaking. It was game breaking stuff. By the sense, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. in in some cases, literally, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. But in ter- in terms of the setting, in terms of the in setting lore. A kind of thing you have to keep in mind is there's no such thing as good in 40k. It doesn't really exist. Mm. It's very much objectivism, uh, which is this kind of... Uh, have you read uh, Ayn Rand's, any of her books? Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. this is kind it fa- of... Is it the, fa- the Fountain? 
the Fountainhead, yeah. Yeah, the Fountainhead, yeah, I've read that. Which sounds like a... No, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) So it's a very kind of out-for-yourself, self-interest, in a kind of enlightened self-interest way. You you, you all have a collectivist mission of uh, survival rather than good, with one exception, which was introduced in the third edition, um, which we'll cover. So you would see people doing bad things, but for the betterment of their own culture and society. So they might wipe out one culture, but that's to ensure the survival of their own culture or something. I'm, I'm sorry, we're talking about something made up, Chris, not the real world. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. So the Imperium of Man started out with the Emperor in something called the Unification Wars, where he brought the entirety of the planet Earth under one government, one rule, which was his. Uh, That sounds like a juxtaposition, the Unity Wars. And also Imperium of Man, how self-inflated is that? Well, I mean, given the fact that he's effectively a god. <laughs> Do they all talk about themselves in third person as well? They sound like they would. <laughs> they sound like, they actually, they I think, like fairly would, yeah. does, yeah. He tried to float the title Imperium of Me, but it just didn't, yeah. no, nobody was interested. <laughs> <laughs> the Imperium of Me! <laughs> I, I think it's because he had no one around him who would say no. Do you know, it's that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. He didn't have like a PR guy. It's like, yeah. well, I don't think that's a good idea, dude. <laughs> Uh, In terms of the kind of broad strokes, there was a a great expansion of humanity out into space. Then there was a terror, well, the galaxy was kind of swamped with warp storms, which are these kind of chaos portals the size of uh, solar systems, just kind of washing over, disrupting travel, disrupting communication. And then there was an event that blew all of those out and and it was all a dream (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it was at that point that an event called the great crusade was able to take place so after the emperor unified terra created the various armies he needed they careened off into the galaxy to reunite all of the inhabited planets uh, of humans back in within under, under the umbrella of the Imperium, um, but also to conquer uh, new planets and to effectively eradicate any alien in the setting. Anything that isn't human or chaos is referred to as Xenos. Uh, so it's other. Xenos. It's a it's it's an alien right. alien race. Um, Does that make the entire Imperium of Man xenophobic? Yes, incredibly. Excellent. Uh, no, not excellent. It's terrible. <laughs> Don't want to say that. Sorry. Scrap that. Scrap that. The opposite of excellent. <laughs> the opposite of excellent. I don't want to talk about that. Um, so, using their the kind of great fleets, you know, and the Space Marine legions of the time, they brought the galaxy to heal. But then, that is when the Horus Heresy occurred. So, the Titanic Civil War, where one half of the Space Marine legions under the generalship of the War Master Horus, who is one of the Primarchs, who are the genetic sons of the Emperor, led. You know, as I say, led half of the Space Marine legions effectively to Terra to be able to dethrone the Emperor and lead the entirety of mankind into the grasp 
of the Chaos Gods. Who was the person who had all these genetic sons? Sounds like a virile son of a gun. <laughs> just churning them out. The Emperor. The Emperor. I thought. Sorry, I thought these genetic sons were sent to dethrone the Emperor on Terra, or the two Emperors. No, remember, this is the Civil War. So Horus was one of the sons of the Emperor, one of the kind of genetic clone uh, okay. sons of the Emperor. Uh, okay, and okay, okay. He led half of the Space Marine Legions to get rid of the Emperor, who was still alive mm. at that time. It's such a pivotal event that the the destruction, the wholesale destruction of the galaxy during the uh, Horus Heresy really led to the establishment of the Imperium, which is this status quo. Everything has to be held as is. There's no innovation and things that fail are either allowed to fail or they've learned to get it to work, but they don't know how it works, if you see what I mean. There's a loss of understanding, uh, and that's been compounded over 10,000 years. Wow. So, yeah, there really isn't. Un- until some of the aspects of the lore for 8th and ninth edition Warhammer, there's been no innovation at all. So it's not out of not wanting to innovate and evolve they've just hit an evolutionary technological glass ceiling. There is no innovation by design. Everything mm. that hasn't been invented is viewed as the peak. The kind of end the, the kind of end of it, the end of uh, yeah. that aspect of whatever. This wheel ain't getting any rounder. And yes, that exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's important to note here that there are multiple agencies at work making sure that there is no innovation. Uh, oh, so it is, there, there are conservative bodies saying, nope, we're not, you, you're not getting a better thing. You're not going to invent better stuff. People just want to maintain. As yeah. It is. I think you could view the Imperium of Man and all the various departments in there as the most conservative group of humanity that has ever existed or indeed will okay. ever exist. Um, sure. Yeah, all technology really falls under uh, a department called the Adeptus Mechanicus, which are these kind of cyber masters who dwell on Mars. That's their kind of home planet. They have a number of other spheres of influence referred to as forge worlds, where uh, effectively it is a, it's as it sounds, it's uh, a one planet that has been turned. One, yeah, <laughs> they have just these anvils, space anvils. Uh, space anvils. <laughs> yeah, space anvils. Clang. If <laughs> <laughs> uh, factories that cover uh, an entire planet's surface. Some of these forge worlds specialize in specific aspects of technology. I'm thinking some, something like Ryza uh, is one of these forge worlds, and they specialize in the production of plasma weaponry. Or they are a repository for the knowledge of, uh, of, of plasma weaponry. Um, when humanity went out into the stars, they took with them like computer programs, libraries, uh, like artificial intelligence style entities referred to as STCs, standard template constructs. So that's a bit of a fortunate acronym, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, don't get close. One, one, don't get close to it. Don't, don't get close. Rub yourself yeah. on it. 
I've uh, I've been I've been near to the STC. I've got a bit of a rash. Uh, I just want to talk to someone about it. Uh, uh, don't know, doctor. It's a kind of itchy, scratchy sensation. Probably nothing. It's probably nothing. <laughs> probably nothing. Yeah, you know. I mean, we just shook hands. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by the Terror Emergency Hotline. Are you in a pickle? Has a Tyranid fleet just translated into your system? Are orcs raiding through your cities? Or are chaos manifestations boring through warped hairs in your local vicinity? Well, we're here to help. At TEH, we specialize in as quick as possible response to civilization-ending crises. Using state-of-the-art technology, we aim to be on site in under just 200 years. No other service in the galaxy offers this level of time-sensitive emergency response. Can't wait that long? Worry not. We come fully prepared to purge the planet of those pesky xenoscum that wiped out your entire way of life and seed the foundations of a new human settlement. Your death will not be in vain. Just email get me the hell out of here at terraemergencyhotline.imperium or call 08 million we're all fucked and one of our over 70,000 adepts will get back to you in some sort of amount of time or other. The Terra Emergency Hotline because you are expendable. These STCs, when plugged into um, a manufacturing facility, can produce anything, can produce anything that a, wow. a, a newly established colony needs. Now, the difficulty is the capacity to create these was lost during the, I think it was the Age of Strife or the Age of Darkness. I think it's the Age of Strife. Um, Both sound not good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you do have the Age of Cocktails, which was this brief interlude, uh, which basically was just... Where everything was the Great Gatsby. (laughs) Yeah, it was the 1920s on a galactic scale. Yeah, Um, quickly followed by the Age of the Hangover. Yeah, (laughs) also known as the Age of Strife. (laughs) <laughs> but no, that was the age of darkness where the galaxy had the blinds closed. <laughs> um, so these STCs are really sought after by the Adeptus Mechanicus because the entirety of you know human endeavor is bound up within these machines. They can create pretty much everything from a spanner up to a titan. So there's right, okay. a, but nothing a in lot of... That's and nothing lot. in between. Yeah. <laughs> you can have a spanner, or yeah. you can have a city destroying mecha. What is it? Oh. Look, I just need a toaster. Like, which one do I go for? A city destroying we'll the- toaster, <laughs> or a toaster you can tighten nuts with? <laughs> but there is uh, there's some truth to uh, humorous exchange um, in that they come across when they're uh, rejoining or when they're incorporating. When they are reincorporating planets back into the Imperium, they find these STCs. You have something called techno-archaeologists who go out and, you know... (laughs) (laughs) They all hang out the Berghain. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and they come with standard glow sticks. I would have played those Lara Croft games a lot more if it was like that. Uh, <laughs> but when they do come across STCs, they, they've never come across a complete one. 
some form of degradation or some aspect of it is missing or destroyed. So there's a huge hunt on to try and build a complete one. Mr. Chris. Wow, right. uh, the, uh, what form do these STCs take? What do they look like? Are they walking androids? Are they just like a big computer? There's been many kind of half-assed descriptions of them, but there's really there's a game called Necromunda, and one of the factions within this game are called the Vansar. They're like it's like the gangs of New York if New York was a metropolitan hellhole. Oh wait, hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the in the Vansar house book, which is their equivalent of a codex, there is an illustration of their STC. Which is faulty. There is a there's an issue with it that bathes them in radiation, but it looks like uh, a cross between. Here we go. It looks like the nuclear core at the end of the Batman movies, at the end of Christian Bale's Batman movies. An orb. An orb, uh, writ large, wrapped in sort of aggressive tinfoil. Um, aggressive tinfoil. Aggressive tinfoil. Yeah, think, uh, but it's, just think of tinfoil. Yeah. So it's effectively, it's a giant okay. memory core. It's a memory core that plugs into, that, that can plug into factories, and you can, through various consoles, get is it, it to generate. Uh, is it just a memory no. stick? It's just, it's a, yeah, it's a giant, angry USB memory globe. Interesting. Okay. So when they okay. so when they find these, so so there's no kind of technological progression or innovation in the Imperium, but when they find these STCs, is there something equivalent to progression as they start to like even the damaged ones, do the damaged ones have some, I don't know, blueprints that they can use? Yes, is the short answer. Uh right. the two kind of most Famous examples of this are the Land Speeder and the Land Raider, which are vehicles available to, well, now to Space Marines, but in the first edition, the Imperial Guard or the Imperial Army, as they were referred to, had access to them as well. Um, yeah, so the Land Speeder, Land Raider were rediscovered rather than innovated. They're rediscovered right, okay. by the, uh, the kind of techno-archaeologist Arkin Land who does appear in the Horus Heresy novels. So, these, Not in the Salamander one. The, not in the Salamander. Man, you hate the Salamanders. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a great novel, I'm sorry. Are the Salamanders <laughs> a race, or are they, kind, uh, are they like a, a, a faction? Or? It's a small amphibian. They're a chapter of Space Marines, or they're now a chapter of Space Marines. At the time when Ben was okay. reading them, they were a, a legion. Um, it was a space newt. A space space <laughs> newt. Um, so when they released these uh, land raiders, the speeders, bike things, was that yeah. viewed as progression? Uh, tangentially, yes, but it's more rediscovery of something that already existed. Right, uh, okay. So it's a renewal rather than progression, rather than uh, innovation. And I was also going to say then, was the horror of the heresy part of the reason why the Imperium wanted to keep everything static. I still don't fully understand why, because it almost seems, it's kind of a bit hard to wrap your head around, because it almost seems kind of not part of humanity. Humanity has always been evolving and progressing and innovating. Yeah. And so to wrap your head around a kind of stagnation on that scale is really difficult. 
Like, was it was it through fear that that they just stopped? Uh, no, it's through design, uh, and it really touches the kind of the highest level lore meta in the game uh, or in the setting, where humans were on the path to becoming a psychic race, where they would all have a level of psychic ability. The mm. emperor was the kind of manifestation of this new evolution of humankind the creation story for the emperor there's a couple of different versions which we'll cover when we dig into the imperium of man in more detail but he had existed for thousands upon thousands of years even before the time where we exist even you know before he existed oh, wow. you know 60 70 000 years before the current date in 40k so he's been guiding he's he can you know appear as any human but he's been guiding humanity towards technological innovation and as part of that in the later millennia he realized that humanity was on the road to becoming a psychic race he's keenly aware of the predatory nature of the four chaos gods and how any psyker, any magic user, in quotes, within 40k can be used as a conduit for possession. And if they can be right. possessed, they themselves can be turned into a portal. There's wow. quite a good representation of that within the one of the books, the first kind of book of the Indomitus Crusade, uh, which was the 8th edition, where Nurgle had possessed an amount of imperial soldiers and one of them opened up like a flower and turned into a portal through which all these demons uh, flew through wow. like a hellmouth, I suppose from Buffy uh, Jesus. realizing that's what was happened. He instituted a cull, which still exists within the 40k universe as part of your responsibility. If you're an imperial governor, a imperial governor, rules a single planet and the surrounding system. So each solar system has one or more governors. Uh, and part of your imperial tithe, which is the tax you have to pay to the Imperium for its support, for its protection, and for access to the various institutions of the Imperium of, of Man, is you have to produce an amount of goods, an amount of troops, and also, you have to purge your community of psychers and witches. And, and depending on the power level of the psychers that you have, there's something called the black ships. These will translate into your system. They will collect the more potent psychers that you have captured. They'll be taken back to Terra for processing. Now, these are the ways that good, in quotes, because we've established there is no good, beneficial, shall we say. These are where beneficial psychers are found. These are where, if they're young enough and powerful enough in terms of their psychic ability, they can be turned into space marine librarians, which are these psychers. I was sure Chris was leaning in for a librarian joke. Yeah, that sounds very underwhelming. If you're powerful enough, young and virile enough, you can be a space, a yes, yeah. a space librarian. <laughs> <laughs> These are the uh, powerful psychic warriors of the Space Marine chapters that document 
the events, the happenings, uh, and the I go battle a lot. Yeah, <laughs> of the uh, of the of the chapters' uh, uh, doings or, or, or life, um, and speak very softly. Yes, you'll find that in a non-fiction section non-fiction at the back section. of the library. <laughs> they worship the god uh, Dewey Decimal. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, other psychers that are taken from this are the Imperial Inquisitors, Psychic Inquisitors, which no one expects. Uh, that's a Monty Python joke. You can fuck yourselves. Uh, the, uh, so these are the witch hunters. These are, as we would understand it, the kind of Spanish Inquisition, although it's the... Uh, imperial inquisition uh these are the ones that actively go out and hunt heretics and chaos worshippers uh, and filthy xenos lovers and the psychers the more powerful psychers and criminal enterprises miss chris psychers is is that basically magic users psychic and magic the the, the tomato tomato yeah yes there, there's some kind of uh, poor faced defense about how it's a different form of psychic power and magic, but it's magic users. Um, yeah, as we as you would understand it in terms of fantasy. Uh, so we have what we covered librarians, inquisition. You then have the various bureaucratic psychers for the adeptus terra. So you're looking at two forms, really, maybe four. Uh, you're looking at the Primaris Psychers. Never three. Never three. The Primaris Psychers of the Imperial Guard. So these are the kind of human versions of Space Marine librarians, but they're used purely for attack and defense. They're not used in any more kind of esoteric uh, methods. Uh, you then have the uh, Navigators, though really the source of Navigators are almost exclusively Terran. These are the ones that can see through the warp. They they have a physical third eye in the middle of their forehead. So they can, um, as I say, see through the warp and help guide ships. Hence the name Navigator. Um, <laughs> but there is, there is tangibly no real difference between the Navigators of 40K and the Navigators that exist in the Frank Herbert Dune books. Uh, the, the concepts, I mean, are they're exactly the same, Mister Ben? Do all of the imperially sanctioned psychers have to be kind of regularly screened? Because if you're saying that use of psychic uh, energies leaves you open to corruption, I guess you would call it. Absolutely, uh, I'm going to use a new phrase here: a hundred percent. Uh, the the space marines are judged to be strong enough morally and uh, uh, and and in terms of willpower to be strong enough. The inquisitors are even more so in terms of their willpower. But the uh, inquisition is utterly merciless in policing itself. There are factions within the inquisition, uh, one of them being referred to as kind of radical. Um, and they're the ones that try to use the power of chaos against itself, right, against okay. chaos, against chaos. And that doesn't sound like it's going to end. It well. routinely ends badly. Um, <laughs> someone needs to sit them down and have a conversation. Um, <laughs> what did we learn? 
What did we learn? <laughs> in terms of those psychers that are attached to Imperial Guard units and to the kind of mass of humanities armies, they're usually accompanied by some specific character type referred to as the Commissar. Now, they're taken directly from uh, Russian World War II in our own world. These were the kind of political officers that um, mm. would execute their own men for attempting to flee a battle. Uh, if, mm. if they denied an order, they would simply be shot. So these commissars fulfill the same role in the Imperial Guard, but also one of their duties is to put a bullet in the back of the head of any psyker who they think is about to lose control. Um, wow. So there's a con there's constant observation, monitoring, and policing of psychers within the Imperium. Um, each governor of, of, of each planet has access to an astropath, which are these, uh, effectively, it's a human walkie-talkie that connects to the broader Imperium. Uh, like space mail. Space mail. These astropaths communicate. Has it, Have you either of you seen that Star Trek Next Generation episode where um, there's a guy that talks completely in allegory? No. He, he's When he speaks, he only speaks in terms of their cultural myths. Well, right. a, a, a fucking great analogy. Anyone who's listening who's seen that <laughs> uh, will understand. Loss, I think that's our uh, loss. How uh, astropaths communicate. And they really, they communicate via dreams and, you know, omens. Uh, they sound they, frustrating to deal with. Yeah. Just say it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Do you yeah. want a beer or not? Just, just a yes or no would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> The owl lands on the branch. What? <laughs> so is, is is that a Guinness? What? <laughs> um, oh dear. So these astropaths are constantly communicating with each other and also with the Imperium at large. Um, there's also something called the Astronomicon. There's really there's only two other uses for psychers that you know is is relevant at this stage. There is an enormous sphere built on top of, effectively on top of, or to the side of Mount Everest. It got converted into a huge globe. For any of our uh, Swedish listeners, it looks exactly like the Globin Stadium, but it's miles wide. Um, this has mounted in it uh, thousands of chairs upon which some of the most powerful psychers in humanity sit upon. And they send out effectively a lighthouse signal, and that allows wow. ships to kind of get their bearings. And when navigators are looking into the warp, they see the Astronomicon. That's the name of this uh, institution. And that is how they guide ships to various locations uh, using oh, the Astronomicon cool. as their reference point. There's such a powerful strain put on psychers that these guys are changed out like light bulbs. They last at most a couple of days. So there are hundreds wow. of thousands of powerful human psychers being extracted from the Imperium of Man per day and then through the various long journeys brought to Terra where they are soul bonded to the Emperor. So what happens is they're put in a chamber they're exposed to the, effectively the soul of the emperor, which is trapped in this 
golden throne or survives within this golden throne, it gives them an aspect of his uh, kind of psychic grace, one of the side effects of which is they're rendered blind, burns out their eyeballs, and then they're plugged into the Astronomicon. Uh, and that whole process from arriving on Terra to being sucked dry psychically is about a week. Uh, so, and then they're dead? And then they're dead. They're completely used up. There's something very, uh, as you're describing that, there's something very Geiger, H.R. Geiger about it. Yeah. yeah like yeah, yeah. kind of human integration into a machine that eventually just uses them up like a battery. Like that's yeah. so dark. Yeah, and then they're just simply disposed of. And thousands of these. Hundreds of thousands. Per day, yeah, yeah. Holy smokes, they need a more efficient system than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if yeah. only they could innovate, Chris, but they can't. Um, well, come on that point, can I just ask, you, you mentioned um, when I asked whether the, um, the fear from the heresy was what, stagnated their um, innovation. You said obviously that the emperor could see the possible risks for humanity in allowing the use of yes. kind of psychic power kind of willy-nilly. Was there any other restrictions that he put on? Because obviously the, the, the development of psychic powers is quite different to the development of a new speeder bike. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. you know, te other technological developments because it's those that they've stagnated in as well. I was just wondering is there any other was there any other restrictions that he put on? Um no, not not he himself and he didn't really put restrictions on it other than the tithe of psychers. What you're really seeing is the projection of worship onto him. I mean, he is worshipped right. as a god by uh, by the vast vast majority of humanity, but the the Adeptus Mechanicus worship him as an embodiment of something called the Omnissiah, which is their god, their machine god. Right. Um, right. And so when he was put in stasis, they effectively viewed that as right from now on. He he did what he needed to do. We've developed everything we need to be able to survive. There's no need to create oh, new things. There's no need to innovate. We have everything we need. Anything new is heresy and will be purged in the... Oh, that's in, interesting. ...with extreme. Is that because if they viewed him as a god or, or divine, then everything that he does has purpose, including his own death? Except he's not dead, yes. Yes, so of course. Well, his stasis, in, yeah. His stasis, right, okay. His and ascent, so, he ascended to the golden you, throne, is, is yeah, how they, makes, they phrase it. Uh, just to close out the psyker thing, there's one other um, group of psychers, and they are arguably the most powerful that are brought to Terra, and they are as psychic food for the Emperor. So these are the alpha level uh, psychers and he consumes about somewhere between 150 to 300 a day are just plugged into the golden throne and are instantly desiccated as all of their psychic potential is effectively yeah there's no other word for it sucked clean out of them um wow mr chris for a group of people that want to wipe out psychers and psychic energy and magic because there's a risk of them becoming a portal to chaos and whatnot. 
they use a lot of them. They rely on them very, very heavily. Is there, do they farm yes. them? Because you're talking thousands a week for various for various jobs. Can yeah. the human race, for Sustain. a start, not every person born is a psycho in the human race. I'm just thinking of like, you know, the law of averages here. How many people must be born every day for enough powerful enough psychers to be produced to be navigators or not the navigators, the other ones, and yeah. also kibble for psychic kibble for the emperor as well. I guess the question then is how what's the population of the Imperium? You're looking at an average uh, planetary population in the tens of billions, and there are a million occupied systems. Wow. Okay. Mm. Blimey. Suddenly that doesn't, okay. that doesn't seem so many. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, a, a minuscule percentage of a single percentage. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the thing is, is that any attempt to kind of farm them has always ended in disaster. Which is why so they've they got to be free really... range. They've just got to go and find <laughs> yeah. them. Find them. You're looking for up. organic, uh, organic psychers, Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. That are powerful enough, and the rest can be destroyed because psychic is bad. Yeah, psychic is uh, bad. It goes a huge way to explain the kind of 1984 Orwellian bureaucratic mm. nightmare. Is because yeah, at mm. any minute a chaos portal could open up and demons could batter through because some toddler didn't get their food on time. That happens once in a while, right? It happens all the time. Yeah, when you when when you're churning out thousands of powerful psychers, yeah, no matter how yeah. hard you vet them, cracks are going to yeah. appear. Yeah, okay. Fine. And but the thing the thing to keep in mind is this at that level, it's happenstance. It's really chance that psychers are born. There are not only forces of chaos. Uh, who are trying to create new psychers or trying to get influence and incur demonic and chaos incursions into reality. But there's also, you know, factions of the Imperium, factions that would be, you know, considered good within the Imperium of Man, who are also trying to grow psychers or use psychers for other purposes. It's like, you know, there's various aspects of the Inquisition, where you'll have an, a, an individual Inquisitor who effectively has the power of the Emperor in terms of the authority. Their ultimate power is called Exterminatus, where they can bring about, they can order the complete destruction of a planet. Wow. Uh, and can, uh, in general, they use something called a virus bomb, which uh, when it detonates on the surface of a planet, it dissolves organic matter while retaining you know, infrastructure. So it wipes out the population of a planet within the matter of an afternoon. Invariably, however, so much gas is produced as a byproduct of this that something ignites it and it turns the world into an inferno uh, for a few days, for a few months. Uh, and then... Good old purge. Yeah. yeah. A good old purge, yeah. But th <laughs> those those inquisitors, are, are there's examples where they're actively seeking out bad guys or the forces of chaos while also operating as the head of a criminal enterprise to try and find out where forces of chaos might be so mm. it, it, it is quite um you know the ends justify the means in terms of the yeah sure um, so yes so the psychic development of humanity 
and the constant appearance of psychers really is the kind of metaphysical reason why the Imperium exists as it is now. Um, in one of the books in the Horus Heresy, I think it's called The Outcasts, where a, a navigator is talking to the Emperor, and he said, victory sometimes isn't you winning, it's stopping your enemy from winning. Mm. So that's that's the victory of the Horus Heresy. It's a, a, a constant status quo, where uh, the powers of chaos were denied and the Imperium of Man established as a imperfect reflection of the the great truth of the Great Crusade. Um, so in terms of psychers, another important aspect of that is, we touched on it previously, is that they're drawing all their power from the warp, which is the kind of layer underneath reality, which is this kind of heaven slash hell area, but mostly hell. Uh, and I'd like to hear about the heaven parts of it. Not now, but yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> the nice bits. So when humanity is, or when human fleets are traveling, faster than light engines don't exist. There's no warp, well, there is warp travel, but there's no warp speed. What happens is... No the, Mr. Sulu. No Mr. Sulu. The navigator will institute a kind of warp breach through which a ship or a fleet of ships will travel and they'll travel into the warp. They'll travel into hell. So very much like Event Horizon, that movie, if you've seen it. Oh, right. It'll yeah. go mm. into our kind of idea of hell. It will travel through, guided by the uh, lighthouse of the Astronomicon and various maps that the navigators have. And then it will come back out. It will translate back into kind of the physical real world or real universe at a new position at some kind of date. Um, the amount of time, however, is never the same. If two ships traveling from point A to point B through the warp, one does it in a week, another does it in seven years. Wow. The, the tides within the warp are so complex that um, it warps the fourth dimension completely. Uh, the shorter the distance, the more regular, the more even the amount of time it takes to travel. So from you know one system to a neighboring system, that might take several hours usually. But then every now and then, one in a hundred ships will come through and it'll be 10 years later. Holy you know, shit. So there, there are... Uh, the laws of averages apply to warp travel within uh, 40K. So if they're doing long distance journeys, then do they have to dip out in and out regularly? Exactly right. Yes, they. Right. Uh, it's it's never advisable to jump from one side of the galaxy to the other um, in one fell swoop. That's the advice my dad gave me when I left home. So, yeah. <laughs> son, <laughs> and look at me now, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> look at me now on a podcast. Um, the, <laughs> So invariably, that's how the bulk of the races travel from system to system is through the warp. Um, there are some exceptions to this, one being the Eldar, as was. They're now the Eldar. Oh, I've heard of these. Space elves, effectively. Um, this race uses something called the Webway, which is the London Underground writ large across the galaxy. Amazing. And so, it, effectively, they're tunneling through the warp. 
So this is the kind of half reality I alluded to at the start of this, where it was two and a half realities. You have the real world, oh, yeah. you have warp, and then you have the webway, which sort of occupies a space in between. This allows consistent and relatively safe travel from one planet to another, from one craft world, which is these uh, city-sized spacecraft that the uh, Eldar, the craft world Eldar live on. Um, I have to get used to calling them Eldari, the Eldari live on. Uh, But it's also occupied by various other aspects of the Eldari race, principally the Harlequins, which are the kind of, how would you describe them? They are deadly space mimes. (laughs) of of elvish descent Um, space jesters space jesters uh, and they occupy the webway and appear uh, to do battle for their various missions uh, through that the other one is the uh, what was the dark eldar but it's now referred to as the drukare uh, and they have a city that's held in the webway called Kamora. Now, it isn't one city in one place. It's actually a number of suburbs, some of which are on the opposite side of the galaxy and are connected by uh, webway gates. They just, it's literally just like walking through a, an arch and you've moved from one side of the galaxy to the other. And that is the last place anyone would want to be who isn't a, 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 a Drukari, who isn't a dark uh, elder, because it's effectively a city of the, God, what are they called? From Hellraiser, the Cenobites. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's that. Uh, wow. Not as crude as that, but these are the kind of, the dark reflection of the noble, in quotes, uh, space elves, or the Eldare. Um <laughs> Uh, and you then have uh, the various other races, but I think perhaps we should draw a veil here and we'll explore the other races and the game kind of lore per edition beginning next episode. Yeah, because my head is about to pop <laughs> on a completely unrelated matter. <laughs> also, this has been very confusing. Yes. <laughs> No, that was amazing. So, fucking, that was a lot to take on in one. I'm sure it'll make more sense as we go through the episodes. It seems familiar yet so detached from Warhammer Fantasy that we have Mm. covered in our other podcast. It seems worlds away, in fact. It's infinitely more complex. It's become Mm. worlds away. I mean, there has been more development done on 40k than any other uh, Warhammer property. Um, we'll talk about it next episode, but the starting point for Warhammer 40k for the rule set, there's something called Laser Burn, which is another a, a, a game that uh, went a different way. But in terms of the lore, in terms of the uh, the kind of broad strokes for the kind of races, it's Warhammer Fantasy in space. Mm. Yeah, Warhammer yeah. Fantasy, there was a defined beginning. You had the old ones. They did their yeah. jiggery-pokery stuff happen from there. Yeah, It seems like, yeah, 40k. 
I suppose, as you said at the beginning, it is set in our universe on our timeline. And so it's a continuation and evolution of our own existence, but in the future. So there is no defined point. Um, there may be well, there is. The Big Bang. Do you want me to cheer you up, Chris? Do you want me to cheer you up? The old ones exist in Warhammer 40k. Word. Word. Yep. What the fuck? We've come full circle. We we can talk about them over the next few episodes, yeah. Okay. Were they as deaverish and one stand one night standish as they were in and 40k as they were in fantasy? No. Is the short okay, fine, answer. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah, okay. We'll <laughs> fine. Fine, 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 fine. Crowley, if you had to be uh one of the psychers that Dar has described, which one would you be? Oh, it would have to be the ones, probably none of the ones that serve the Imperium of Man because they just seem like cattle and you're bound to a life of misery, torture, and then get the psychic juice sucked out of you before you <laughs> cast it. And then in the frazzled. Book. Yeah, so I'd probably be one of the outcasts. Just kill me now. Just round me up, put a bullet in the back of my head. <laughs> be done with it. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> what about you? That would have been the one I picked for you as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'd be. I think I'd be like um, the the Inquisitor um, psychers because they seem to have the most freedom with it, you know. And and if anyone looks at you funny, you just virus bomb an entire planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's an appropriate response, isn't it? That would certainly help work the kinks out, wouldn't it? <laughs> It's not that you'd haul that individual off and give them a stern talking to. It's that you'd destroy their entire civilization. <laughs> no yellow cards, no warnings. No yellow- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spanner, city-destroying robot. You know, it's the, yeah, yeah, exactly. just fuck the middle yeah. ground. Let's get right to it. <laughs> yeah, the three strikes rule for Inquisition is I strike you three times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, all joking aside, but yes, I, I would I would be an inquisitor as well. I think they're by far the most interesting of human concepts within the 40k lore. Mm, yeah. And that saves me asking you, Darren. So uh <laughs> Well, I thought I'd volunteer that because history has proven me wrong about, you know, waiting to be asked. You will indeed. indeed. <laughs> right, shall I wrap up? No. No. Let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Wrap up, baby. Wrap it up. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We will have all of our episodes up there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying40k and sign up today for as little as £3. This will give you access to our Discord server so you can come and tell us what you think of us directly. We'll be back soon displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, goodbye. See you later, people. We've only really just started.